Mac Power Users, episode 331, Workflows with Stephen Hackett. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie Floyd? I'm doing great, David, as long as the Skype gods hold out on us. Yes, uh, we were trying to figure out why we couldn't get this call started, but we're going to knock on wood and just keep powering through. And we have a guest with us today. Welcome back to the show, Stephen Hackett. Hello, Mac power users. I blame Stephen because I'm sure that he is he is uh, recording this call from like a, uh, a Pismo uh, power book. And that's that's why Skype is not behaving. Yeah, the G3 is just literally on fire on my desk. It's really sad. It's a sad scene here, Katie. It's a sad scene. And he's using like a beta version of Skype. I think it's <laughs> it's, t- it's tough to run Skype with 128K of RAM, but if anybody could do it, it'd be Stephen. <laughs> Stephen Hackett, in, in, you know, where Mike Hurley is the collector of iPads, Stephen Hackett is the collector of Macs, which I find interesting. Uh, co-founder of the beloved Relay FM network. And uh, we wanted to have Stephen on for a couple of reasons today. Uh, Stephen's got some great Mac workflows and business stuff we wanted to talk about, but he's also got this project where he's been collecting iMacs and done some great videos. So well, we got a lot of content to cover with Stephen, but, but first, how the heck are you doing? I'm doing I'm doing well. You know, Relay is getting ready to turn two years old. I'm actually just this past week celebrating my one year of like job independence. So it's an exciting, exciting couple of weeks for me over here. And uh, I'm just I'm so happy to keep keep on doing it for uh, for a year now. It it seems like the indie thing is is catching on. And uh, I know you're celebrating one year indie. And David, you've got a new indie thing going on, too. Do you want to make mention of that? Yeah, why not? It's um, it's not going to be out when the show airs, but uh, I have a new podcast in the works that's going to be on the Relay Network that I'm doing with Jason Snell. It's going to be called Free Agents, and we're going to be talking about this indie stuff. And the shows are going to be a half hour. They're not going to be super long, but uh, we're having a really good time. We've already got several in the can, and I think it may be of interest. It's a really, if I can plug it for a second, it's a really good show. I've enjoyed every episode I've heard so far. It's weird because it's not I'm not talking about tech. And I told you you couldn't. You can't step on can't step (laughs) on our territory here. There you go. (laughs) But there's so much else to talk. The thing is, I I spent so much time trying to figure out how to get out of the, you know, working for the man and get out on my own. Now I spend all my time thinking about how to keep that, you know, how to not have to go back to the man. And uh, this podcast, uh, the free agents, just like the Mac Powers, this is something I have to get out of my system. You know, I would be I would be saying these things to the wall if I didn't have a microphone. So I might as well use the microphone. Yeah, I like it. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I think our Relay members got a special sneak peek of it this week. Yes. If you are a Relay subscriber, you got the first episode and um, the music is going to be a little different when we finally release it. And uh, the show is going to be released later in July. Jason, uh, Jason is going to be down in Southern California for his family trip. And so we're barbecuing at the Sparks house. I think we're going to actually physically push the button together at my house um, later in July. So that'll be kind of fun to launch a new show. So Stephen, you're just, uh, you're going gangbusters with the cracking the whip and getting podcasters to release more content for you. New content all the time. No, I mean, free agents is such a good idea. And I like, not to get too far into baseball, even though I guess that's kind of what the show is about today. Like I like shows that we can produce that people don't expect. So like Jason and I have a space podcast or Mike and I have a podcast about weird Wikipedia articles. So like 
you know, you respect a couple people for their views in tech, but that's not just who we are, right? We're not just one-sided individuals. We have lots of interests and lots of things we're passionate about. And so I, I always enjoy people getting together and making things that, you know, might not be immediately obvious, but once you hear it, it makes a ton of sense. And I think that this new show falls right into that category. When we last spoke, you were working for the man and now you are the man. So that's right. We, uh, we wanted to talk about that. Don't forget it, David. No, <laughs> we, we've been kidding. talking a lot lately on the show about iPad because the iPad pro has kind of turned a lot of us on our heads with some of our workflows. Sure. But, you know, you are the stalwart of the Mac in our little circle. I mean, Stephen Hackett is, is truly not only the collector of Macs, but also a Mac power user. And thank God somebody's saying <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to talk a little bit about that because you've gone from being an employee to an employer and, you know, uh, someone who has to to run a business. And, and you're doing a lot of that with the Mac. Uh, so. Let's start with kind of the nuts and bolts part of the interview. I, I want to talk a little bit about what you're doing to keep the wheels turning over Relay these days. Sure. I mean, uh, you know, you, you've had Mike on. I think we even talked about it in the past, but Mike and I kind of split Relay really down the middle. And so he is taking care of a lot of the shows and lots of with the hosts and he does a lot of our selling, but the rest of the back office stuff and the tech stuff falls to me. So I'm keeping the site up and running, working on updates to our CMS, working on, you know, making sure we have artwork and everything, kind of the logistics of the shows are all in order. And then a lot of the the back office stuff, as far as making sure invoicing gets done, even though Mike does a lot of that, uh, making sure payments get in, that people get paid on time. Uh, we obviously pay our hosts and make sure that that goes smoothly so everybody gets uh, gets what they've earned. We appreciate that. You're quite timely. Yeah. Well, it's every, uh, every other Friday. Um, and so we we work really hard to make all that all that work. You know, Relay's big now. It's um it's a bunch of shows, it's a bunch of people. And so we've had to scale up our workflows. And uh, I think maybe we can talk a little bit about that. But the, really the last year has been an evolution of Relay being one size and now it has graduated into something else. And with my additional time being able to solidify some of our, our processes and some of our business practices has really been good for everybody, I think. You know, after being a business lawyer for 20 years, I tell people that the the biggest time of risk for any business is not when you're failing. I mean, when the business starts doing poorly, you usually know what you need to do. You need to cut costs and, you know, figure out how to keep the ship afloat. But where you really get into a lot of trouble is when you go from a small, successful business to a medium, successful business, because there's like so many new things that you have to deal with. And there's so many ways to fall into traps when you're when you're making that transition. And so you guys are right in the middle of that now. Lucky you. <laughs> no, I think that's true. I think a good example of it is uh, we did RelayCon at WWDC. So we did a live show. It was connected. And then we had a bunch of guests, including Jason Snell, Serenity Caldwell, CGP Gray. And it was a, a very different thing to what we've ever done. We've done a couple of live events in Atlanta with the Pen Addict. But this was a big event in a city that we don't have presence in. I mean, we've got a couple of hosts who live out in the area, but we had to do all the planning remotely and all that fell to me. And it was a, it was a wild thing to step out on the stage and see 150 people uh, in this bar who like paid money to come see us talk about technology. It was really a, a very humbling thing, but something that we would not have done a year ago. There's no way we would have attempted it. And we did it this year and it was successful. And so we're already talking about what it could mean next year. That was a real moment of clarity for me about what you're saying about we are now sort of in a different place than we were a year ago. And 
in this room full of people was a real indication of that for me. So what's the, let's talk about the tech part of it a little bit, because, you know, we're Mac power users. We want to hear about this stuff. Um, you described earlier that you're kind of a behind the scenes guy on a lot of pieces of this network, uh, everything from servers to artwork to uh, some of the businessy stuff. Um, maybe let's just spend a minute talking about the servers and the back end of the network. I mean, what is your involvement and how are you keeping all this stuff spinning? Sure. Uh, well, I will start by saying that I'm not a developer. I know a little bit of PHP and I know some CSS and HTML, but really just enough to be dangerous. Well, I mean, if you were the guy doing the development, I'd be really worried because yeah. <laughs> you have other stuff to do. So, so, so we work with two developers. Uh, our, our CMS is custom. Uh, we purchased it from uh, somebody when we started and we develop all that development is done now with a couple of freelancers that, that we have used for a long time. And so it's it's a custom CMS to relay. There's a couple other little podcast networks that use it, but I think we're the biggest. And it is custom built for for what we do. And there's a lot of good options out there. WordPress has some podcasting stuff. Squarespace, of course, has some great podcasting stuff, but none of that really scaled up to what we need. And so my role in that is kind of hearing what hosts want. So David, I'll use you as an example. When we were together in San Francisco, you said, hey, it'd be really great if I could reorder show links uh, from iOS. And it was just a matter of that little, uh, the dragging up and down of links just didn't work uh, in a touch interface. It, it required a mouse click. And so that's something that you, does, you know, you and several other people kind of told me actually kind of all at the same time, like, hey, this would be really great if, if it did this. And so I go off and I talk to our developers and talk to our designer if necessary and say, what what would this take to get done? Is this major surgery? Is something quick? Uh, how do we prioritize it and the, you know, the vast number of things we want to do to the CMS? And uh, we get it done and, and get it tested. A lot of what I do is the testing. I've said, we'll put it up on a, spin it up on a secondary site and be like, did this break the RSS feeds? Did this do something unusual in one browser or another? And kind of oversee that process and um, and then make sure that the host who requested it or really the whole network is made aware of, we have this new functionality now and this is what it does. And so it's sort of some education on the back end. I know one thing that happened when Mac Power users came on board and kind of as we were in discussions with you is we said one of the things that was really important to us is keeping our archive of shows is because we had right. such a vast catalog um, and people like to go back and look and be able to scroll and browse our entire show archive because there's a lot of good content there. And you all at that time did not have a mechanism for saying, you know, yeah. show me all the Mac Power user shows on on a page so that I can go back and scroll through them. Uh, and now you do. Yep. Yep. So a lot of our uh, our features come directly from that sort of thing of this is something that's important to to a show, but like with that archive page, there's clear benefit to every other show, right? We just hadn't really thought about it. And so someone brought it up. We vetted the idea like this is great. This will be this will be good for everybody, even though Mac Power usually wants it. Uh, everyone would benefit from it. And uh, so we rolled it out. So a lot of that stuff has just come on as we've grown. Um you know, Mac Power users, we also had an issue where you guys would publish and we'd have some caching issues. And uh, we got those dealt with. Um, the the crushing load of Mac Power user listeners, something we had to deal with. And uh, we implemented a new caching system. I, I love that that was a problem, though. That's a great problem to have. Too many people <laughs> to the site at once is a good problem to have. But we got that fixed, too. Yeah, to close the loop on that, if you go to MacPowerUsers.com, you get to that page that's got all of our shows. So that's kind of fun if you ever want to look something. Uh, uh, Relay.fm slash MPU slash archive. Yeah, either one. 
but just getting back to this. So the, the, the impression I've always had, Stephen, and, and I'm, I, I'm kind of putting you on the spot because we haven't talked <laughs> about this, is that you've been always the guy that makes sure that the website functions work properly, that nothing really breaks as you guys roll out new features and, and maintain things. But you're also the guy who's always been on top of things if there was any kind of downtime. Like I, I know we, there's been small issues where there's been issues with the site. And by the time I discovered them, you had already fixed them. <laughs> and I know there's a lot of people out there listening who are responsible for websites in one capacity or another. It could be just a small business or it could be they're, they're a web guy. Um, what are the tools you're using that make you so effective at this? So, so we've got a couple of things in place. The site is hosted uh, with a company called Heroku and they've got really good reporting tools. And so I get a uh, they can do a couple different things i get an email notification from them if we ever have any issue on their end and i have that whatever that email address is you know support email address marked as a vip in my iphone and so that only a handful of addresses can actually light up the screen of my iphone actually send me a notification that i can see in my email and so i know that if i get a vip email like one out of three chances it's it's heroku because there are only very few people who get that status uh, we also use a service called Pingdom, and full disclosure, Pingdom is a, a great sponsor of the network. They've been on a bunch of our shows, but they really do lead the way in some really nice monitoring. And so I will get a notification from them saying, hey, the site's slow, or we have an issue, uh, some part of the site may be down. And um, I really take that seriously because, you know, Relay is a business that uh, truly is on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I know like the Beats One kind of made that that line of joke a little bit, but People download our stuff around the world all the time. And so any downtime, you know, even it always seems to be as I'm going to bed or like putting my kids to bed, but any downtime at all is means that people can't get our shows. And uh, that's a frustrating experience uh, for our listeners. And I want their experience to be wonderful. And so it's something that we we take very seriously. And depending on what's broken, I can go in and fix it if we just need to restart something or um uh, our developers, you know, especially the one who lives in Memphis, he's local to me. And so he and I can get to physically get together if we need to and, and deal with something. Um, and they're always very responsive as well. If it's something that is more technical than I can handle myself. You know, I'm going to have to sign up for a Pingdom account because I, I several times I've had little issues at Max Sparky and I find out about it on Twitter. You know, like listeners are telling me that my website is down and I, you know, that's not cool. I, I'm going to have to just bite the bullet and get one of these accounts. It's, it's, it's a great service. It really is. And what about the, um, in terms of like, just like the testing of the service, because they are, you guys are careful about releasing new features, but is it just, is it just the people, how many people are testing this stuff or is it just you or how are you doing that? It's so our development is kind of a a two-step process. If you will, we have one developer who is doing the primary work and then the other developer, whoever happened to not do that work, will go back and do a code review. And so and that gives another set of, of developer eyes on it. The uh, for those who may be curious, uh, the the CMS is written in um, in Ruby on Rails, and so we have a, a Ruby developer look at it and a Ruby developer uh, do a code review, and then we push it to a staging website, which is just a little website that has a subset of our database on it, and we can go in there, we can publish new shows, all that stuff is hidden, so we can publish new shows, publish new episodes, and see what happens with like real data, but on a, on a sort of on a fake website. And so our two developers and Mike and I both will look at it there. Um, or if, uh, if a host really has something really specific, uh, I'll grant them access to that site as well. So like, Hey, you know, you and I talked about this a bunch, but does this meet the need that you have? Is this what you were expecting to see when we talked about this feature? 
And, uh, and if it goes well in testing, then we make a backup of the site so we can restore and we, uh, we push it live and, and I don't think we've ever had a rollback. I think every update we've had has been, um, has been good. This episode of the Mac power users is brought to you by automatic with automatic, turn any car into a smart car and go to automatic.com slash Mac power to get 20% off. I don't know why it is, but car companies just generally stink at technology. My car is not even that old, and it can't even hold a Bluetooth connection. But if you're listening to my voice, you're kind of nerdy, and you want technology in your car. I know I sure do. That's why I bought an automatic. The automatic is a small adapter that turns any car into a connected car. You just plug the automatic into the same port that your mechanic uses to diagnose engine problems, and it opens a world of possibilities. Automatic lets you keep track of your fuel mileage and vehicle health, expense business trips with a tap, and link your car to the connected devices that power your life. What's that pesky check engine light really mean? Automatic tells you before you go to the shop, so you'll know whether it's a $10 problem or a $10,000 problem. Automatic can also integrate with your Nest thermostat to know when you're home, and it can even provide the answer to one of life's most common questions, where did I park my car? One of my favorite features is the 24-7 crash response. If you're in a serious crash, the automatic will detect it, and then an automatic professional agent will call to assist you, alert local emergency services, and even inform your loved ones. On this feature alone, I put one of these in my daughter's car. There's a ton more, though. It can grade your driving and let you know how you're doing and help you become more fuel efficient. It can let you know when you're running out of gas. And it can even interface with the Apple Watch. So when you get to the destination, your watch can ask if that last trip you made was a business trip. And if you just tap one button, it gets coded that way for your taxes. If you want to get really nerdy with your automatic, it connects to IFTTT and a variety of different apps to give you things like specific statistics on your engine, recording expenses to FreshBooks. And there's even a couple to give you gauges and indicators on your engine performance. With the automatic, you can nerdify any car. You're going to love it. They normally sell for $99.95, but with the special offer code MACPOWER, you can save 20%. So go to automatic.com, and when you're checking out, use the coupon code MACPOWER, M-A-C-P-O-W-E-R, to get $20 off. So go to automatic.com to turn your car into a smart car and get $20 off with the coupon code MACPOWER. Thank you, Automatic, for sponsoring the Mac Power users. Okay, you have lists of things you want to do the website. How are you tracking that, and how are you deciding what gets to the top of the list? So the the CMS lives as a repository on GitHub, and GitHub has a really nice issues feature. So you can go in and you can document what you want done. You can attach different parts of code to that, attach screenshots. You can assign it to people, and each issue will become basically a, like a comment thread almost. So you can go in there and um, say, hey, you know, I, I worked on this, but I, I need some clarification or, hey, other developer, can you check out this code and make sure that, that what I'm doing is appropriate? And so that's all done within GitHub. It's not necessarily a great task management system, but it's where our developers are used to seeing things. And as far as priority, that's something that Mike and I talk about. Um, anytime a, a new issue comes up, we sit down and look in, at you know whatever number of issues we have open. I think right now it's only it's only maybe four or five, and we say okay, where does this fall in line? And we we balance that with every the importance of everything else. Is there a deadline for something else? Like you know like your archive page we wanted up when MPU launched. Obviously there's a deadline with that, 
and we, we balance that with, well, how easy is this? Is this a, is it, if it's a 15 minute thing, let's go ahead and get it knocked out. So it's not just mental weight on everybody. Um, and I always like going back to people and saying, Hey, we fixed it super fast. Like your link reordering thing. I think we had done in like a week and a half. And so we kind of just, just filter things through those lenses and then make a decision about where it goes on the list and, and go from there. And one of the things kind of related to the online presence is you added the membership option this, this year. I think it launched this year, maybe, maybe late last year is within the last year. Yeah. It was a d- December is when it launched. And I know that was a big project for you that added a whole nother degree of complexity. It added, um, you know, kind of a whole nother members only zone that, that was launched. Tell us a little bit about the, the number one, what that is. And then number two, kind of the aspect of launching it. You bet. So we use a system called Memberful that is basically like a plug-in system uh, to any website. You can run it on a bunch of different CMSs. They have a custom API that we use that if you go and sign up for a membership, it, it overlays on the page you and your credit card information and you never really leave the Relay website, even though you're paying through Memberful. And Memberful gives us lots of stuff. We have lots of different plans. Each show has three plans and then there's a network plan and we can go in there and I can run reports and download CSVs and refund payments. And I can do any management stuff you could think of through the member, memberful dashboard. And memberful is just a service that, that you pay for. You either pay them a fee or they take a cut or something like that. But yeah, this is what memberful does. Right. Yeah. They, they are software as a service for membership. So we use them. Jason Snell at Six Colors uses them. Federico Vitici at Mac Stories uses them. A bunch of people use them now. It's a, it's a rock solid service. I can't, I, I really can't uh, say anything bad about it at all. Uh, so for us, it was a, it was more of a visual thing. So we need some buttons as so you click on them and it, it launches uh, the right memberful plan. So if you go to Mac power users and you hit that annual button, uh, that graphic is tied to your I, member full ID for that plan. And so it, it opens the right window. Um, and then we, we built a couple of, of hidden pages in the CMS. So if you're a member, you can, you can go to this URL that, you know, only you're supposed to know and see back back uh, catalogs of the newsletters and that sort of thing. And we're working on right now a members only show. So in August, shows are going to be doing like bonus content for members. It's all Android for five hours. Perfect. <laughs> I think your members may revolt. <laughs> uh, so right now we're working on a new a new show type in the CMS, if you will that uh, members will be able to use in Overcast. So Overcast doesn't support password protected feeds. So this will be kind of an open feed that it's going to get out. There's no way it doesn't, but it's hidden from the the master feed. Uh, it's hidden from the website and you'll be sent a link to to subscribe to it. And so we're working on that actually right now. And we're going to get that rolled out for uh, for August. It's on your honors, people. Don't screw it up. Hey, there you go. Yeah, it's like Jason and Dan do one of six colors that, you know, and it's, I mean, you can go find it. It's kind of an open thing. And I really view that as, well, it's, it's an advertisement for membership. If you like all this stuff, um, then, hey, if you can become a member and you can enjoy it uh, with a clear conscience. So in addition to all kind of the network stuff you're doing, you're also, sounds like you're managing a lot of data. Um, and I, I know, uh, having talked to both of you, that you guys are, are big users of Google Spreadsheets. We absolutely are. Uh Google Sheets has its problems, especially on the iPad, but um, I do my work for the Mac, so that that tale of woe is not super uh, touching to me. Yeah. But it, it works really well because we can both be in a spreadsheet and be working on something, and there's really, I don't even consider what they do sync. I mean, it's just like real-time collaboration. And so we have, we have sheets for all sorts of things. Um, 
we, we use an accounting software and we actually use an ad tracking software as well. But the Google Sheets is kind of where all the glue is right now. And I can just go in and make a change to something and Mike gets it immediately and we can work together on something. And it's um, it's really the, the heart of Relay is in a, a pile of Google spreadsheets. Yeah, I've always felt like that for spreadsheets, the, you know, the pivot tables and the, the really advanced functions you need for, you know, corporate buyout are great for a few people and they can really make them dance. But uh, when numbers first arrived, I thought it was superior in a lot of ways because it had the features I needed and, and looked good. But what really needed to happen in hindsight was it needed to be this online collaboration tool for a spreadsheet. And once someone created it and Google did, it just became so obvious that this thing is useful. I mean, Katie and I for years have had a Google sheet that has, it's the master list of Mac Power Users episodes going back probably before we hit show 100, you know, and and going into the future. It's just so useful that two people can be working on the same data at one time. Yeah, absolutely. It's huge for us. Do you use much automation in the sheets? I mean, are, is it is it a lot of like uh, advanced formulas or is it mainly just information and some simple arithmetic? It's it's some pretty simple, simple math. I mean, we're definitely not doing anything um, too ridiculous. So, so some examples, kind of what we track in there. Uh, we have uh, a list each quarter of all the ads that we've sold kind of the status of the invoice. Uh, we use FreshBooks for all of our invoicing, but we kind of have this as like a big view of everything. And so that's really simple addition and subtraction. You know, everybody's cuts are figured in there and we can check it against our other systems. Um, so it's n- it's nothing real complicated. Now the sheets are getting uh, are getting big. Um, there's a lot of data in them, but the data is relatively straightforward. It'd be, numbers would be more than powerful enough for it. Numbers just doesn't give us the the, the real-time collaboration that we need. Now, are you doing anything to back it up independently from Google? That always makes me a little nervous uh, when you put important data on Google Drive if something goes wrong. Yeah, so I do sync. Uh, I do use the Google Drive app on my Mac, and it syncs that account. And uh, I don't know how useful those documents are out if Google Sheets went away, but at least I have a local copy of the data that then gets you know backed up everywhere. So it, it, I agree with you. It's not as nice as having a, a, an Excel spreadsheet on my desktop that I can reach out and touch that I know is on my local disk. But um, at the same time, I think they've proven themselves that it's robust and and trustworthy. If you're using Google Drive, the good news is it it ties into all your other backup systems. So whether you're doing, you know, a time capsule or a Drobo or whatever you're backing up to, that data is getting copied. Exactly. Now, you've got a lot of information to keep track of from, you know, who is sponsoring what, when, and did they pay their invoice or did they not pay their invoice? And what are the cuts that are going to the um, to the various hosts? And when does those get made? Are those just spreadsheets upon spreadsheets upon spreadsheets? Or using, is that something that FreshBooks is helping to take care of? Or how are you keeping count of, you know, all of this accounting that has to go on? So there's really two parts to that that question. The first, as far as who's buying what and what they're getting charged and all the billing, that all happens in FreshBooks. We do all of our invoicing through them. Again, they're sponsor. We use them before they were sponsor. Um, all of our invoicing gets done there. So I can log in and see who's been invoiced, who's paid. If someone mails us a check, then I can go in there and mark it as paid when I receive that check. Um, so all that's done in FreshBooks. As far as the inventory for the ads themselves, so you guys have, ads on this very episode and that is all tracked in a in another sort of custom cms that was built by a friend of ours it is custom tailor built for ad inventory for podcasts like there is no use for it outside of that 
and um, we have worked with him to to add some features to it that, that are relay specific. So each each host can go in and say, "Hey, I'm on Mac Power Users 331," and you get a single page of these are all the ads. This is all the copy that I need to read. These are all the 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 links that will go in the sponsor field in the CMS. So in the RSS feed, the sponsors show up. You can click on them. Uh, all that's now in one place. And so you can go in and just as a host, go to one single page and get all of that for your episode. That's a good example of something that didn't scale. We had all that in, in Google spreadsheets for like the first year or so, and it just didn't scale. I mean, there were documents flying around everywhere. People always had the wrong version and it was way too complicated. And so we moved to this system where Mike and I can do the data entry for everybody and you can just log in as a host and get what you need and get out. And um, and uh, the you, as a host, you can go in and see how much money you're going to make. The next payout, all that stuff is in that custom system. And uh, so it's it's again, it's really custom built for what it does, but it does its job really well. It's it's kind of interesting to me how important web based services are to your business. I mean, it it really is the backbone of everything, whether it's your system for dealing with hosts or your system with just tracking information with Mike or even sponsors. Everything has an internet backbound to it that you've described. Absolutely. Why did you opt to go with everything web-based? Was that more necessity because you and Mike obviously uh, live on different sides of the world? Or was that <laughs> was that just because the world is going web-based? Because there, there are pros and cons with going web-based. The pro is obviously your data is everywhere. You can share it with anyone. But the con tends to be that, you know, you're, unless it's a free service, you've got subscription pricing and, you know, recurring um, costs and those types of things. Sure. Yeah, I mean, almost everything we use is web-based. We do have a Dropbox that we share a bunch of things like, uh, you know, show artwork and that sort of thing. But anything we're actively working on, you're right, is a web service. And we pay for Google Apps. I mean, we have a corporate Google Apps account, so we have our fancy branded email and everything. Um, For us, it really was a necessity. And it wasn't even so much about Mike being six time zones away from me, even though that was a component. If Mike worked in this very office that I'm sitting in now, we would still have the need to collaborate on things when we're not together. And as good as Dropbox Sync is and as good as something like Numbers or Excel is, uh, those things don't offer real-time collaboration. And there are a lot of times where Mike and I are working on very similar things, the same set of data, and we needed a system that could handle that. And so to have it online is, it's handy. All those pros are big pros for us. But really the key of it was we need like real-time collaboration that that works. and um, having a, an Excel sheet with a bunch of Dropbox collisions wasn't going to cut it, uh, especially before we had the ad tracking system in place. So for us, it really was, this just has to work this way. We have to work this way. And um, I, I don't mind, I mean, I don't, I don't mind paying for software that we use and we pay f- for FreshBooks and Google apps and everything else. Um, but we get a real return out of that money. And so for me, it's, it's a, it's a business expense that I'm, I'm happy to to take on. And you guys have gone in pretty deep with Google in terms of the, you know, the Google apps. Um, where are your pain points with that? I mean, there's nothing major. I mean, nothing major comes to mind. Um, you know, you always get to weirdness sometimes about like using an online service and your browser of choice or syncing with mail or something. But I, I think all in all, we've been very happy with how things are set up. Now, what, what other parts of the Google apps are you using? Uh, so we use... Um, we use Sheets and Docs heavily. Uh, we we both, our Relay FM email addresses are through there. Our public email address, which is hello at relay.fm, that's set up there as well. So we use the email components. Um, 
I really don't use the contacts. I'm I'm kind of bad and just use my personal iCloud account for all of my contacts, work and personal. I don't really separate those out. Um, but we do use the calendar pretty heavily. So Mike and I each have a calendar. And so if we need to do something work-wise, and really why we did that is like sometimes sponsors will invite us to a phone call and they don't know my personal iCloud account, right? They only know Stephen at Relay.fm. And so they'll invite me there. So I use that calendar. And then the live calendar, which is on the website and actually is in the Relay app, if you open that, we pull from that same calendar of the live shows. Um, so any live shows and a bunch of people have access to that. Uh, you can go and see when the the next time Mac Power Users is recording live and you can see little notes about, oh, I don't know what MPU is. Let me see what the show is about. There's a little description in there. Um, so all that is done through Google Calendar and that has been rock solid for us. I, I don't think I've ever had Google Calendar give me a hiccup in years. We've had a lot of, you know, people writing in about Evernote and kind of the ongoing saga. <laughs> and um, Something that has kind of risen to the top of my awareness is Google Keep. And uh, lots of listeners are talking about using it as an alternative to Dropbox or Apple Notes. It's kind of the Google Notes online component. Is that any part of what you guys are doing? Uh, I haven't really spent any time with it. I mean, Mike and I... For that sort of content, so like uh, an example that comes to mind is we have a document that has all of our hosts, like phone numbers, emails, and like physical addresses. So we like sh- we have to ship you guys stuff from time to time. And that could live in something like Google Keep. It could even live in something like Apple Notes now with sharing. But because Google Drive is sort of the core of everything else, uh, we just have folders like Google Docs uh, for that sort of stuff. Um, anytime we have PDFs or something like that, which of course Evernote is really good at, uh, those live on Dropbox. So we have, you know, these contracts we sign with all of our sponsors. Those are all PDFs just in Dropbox. We could definitely put that in Google Drive. And I think we probably should, at least mentally, it would help me remember where things are. But Dropbox is really good for that sort of thing for us. So it's not live collaboration. I mean, I sign a contract and it just goes in there for storage and it's on Dropbox so we can both get to it if we ever need it in the future. What are you guys doing for task management? Um, you know, I, I know Mike, when we talked to him last, was using OmniFocus, but as much as I love OmniFocus, that's great for individual task management, but not so much for sharing tasks between a team of people. Yeah. So when we were launching two years ago, we used Wonderlist as a shared t- t- task management system, and it's owned by Microsoft now. It's, it's really great for shared to-do lists. It's simple, but it gets the job done. We really outgrew it. And by that, I don't mean we outgrew Wonderlist. We outgrew the need for like share to-dos. I mean, Mike and I are talking constantly over iMessage. I mean, he's texting me literally right now telling me something about some stickers I ordered. Um, Tell him you're podcasting. Leave you alone. Yeah. Wait, it's it's late there. I mean, yeah. why is he up this late? And he's Yeah, it's actually a little late for him. Um, but uh, yeah. so anyway, so we don't really do anything shared task management wise. I use OmniFocus as well. And really, it's a matter of we just communicate with each other and he'll say, hey, can you make sure to get this done this week? Or I can say, hey, Mike, I need X and Y from you by Tuesday. And we just trust each other that it'll get done. And so I have, um, uh, you know, many times, many times a week, Mike will need something from me and he'll ask me an iMessage. Or if it's really important, we email each other. That's like if the world is on fire, I send Mike an email like that's sort of our it seems backwards, but we're in each other's VIPs. but iMessage is all, I mean, convoluted with like personal stuff because we're really close friends and like email for us is like, hey, I really need you to do this and you're probably asleep to so do it when you wake up. I sent Mike an, uh, like a heartbeat. Uh, I drew a picture of a heart with the iOS 10 beta and I sent it to him and he didn't write back. I think I freaked him out a little bit. Maybe. Or maybe he hasn't picked up his iOS 10 beta device in a while. Yeah. 
I may just hey, do that. Th- there is an app you're using for some kind of big picture project planning uh, that I am very curious to hear about. And we're going to talk about that next. Our next sponsor for this episode is our good friends over at the Omni Group. And I want to talk a little bit today about Omni Outliner. If you're like me and you're one of those left brain people and your mind just thinks and works in the world of outline, then you're going to want to check out Omni Outliner. And Omni Outliner is the premier tool for Mac and iOS for outlining. It can store and collect all kinds of information about just about anything. You can get started using their built-in themes. And they've got a couple of different ones that if you want to outline for a classroom, if you want to outline for another novel if you've got a special project in mind. And Omni Outliner is feature rich and flexible. You can use it for any number of tasks from creating simple lists to outlining a speech to taking class notes or even writing a novel. You can start with a simple outline and then quickly add structure from there to beef up your outlines and go deeper. You can expand and collapse whatever you information you need so it's not so overwhelming and you can just dig in and focus on a very specific portion of your outline. And everything is accessible through keyboard shortcuts. So So once you take the time to learn those keyboard shortcuts in Omni Outliner, you can really fly through it. And you can add more information to your outline by pulling in attachments and recordings and PDFs and more. You can even record audio while you take notes with an Omni Outliner for your future reference. Once you've got all this great information in Omni Outliner, you can share out your outlines by exporting it into a variety of formats. And all of this information can sync across any Mac or iOS device using OmniPresence. It's Omni Outliner's free and reliable open source tool. So your files are always intact and available. And and they'll be waiting for you because Omni uses background app refresh, uh, so you don't have to worry about going and making sure that everything is up to date. So there are two versions. There's a basic version, and then there's the pro version that brings some additional features and export formats, including things like Apple Script support, advanced style control, and more. I'm a big fan of Omni Outliner. I've used it extensively as I've been going back to school. I'm using it right now as I write my final research paper for my program, and it has just been a godsend. So if you want to check it out, I encourage you to try it and try both versions before you buy to make sure that you're getting the one that's right for you. Uh, Omni gives a two-week free trial of their programs, and you can go and download them by visiting omnigroup.com. And if for any reason you're not satisfied, they've got a 30-day money-back guarantee on all of their applications. And if you're a student or if you've already got a version of the Omni Group's applications, make sure you check out. They've got upgrade and educational pricing available. So go check out Omni Outliner and all of the great applications from our pals over at the Omni Group. And thanks, Omni, for your support of Mac Power users. You know, another app that's on my radar that I've heard from several people, and I have to admit I've not used it, although I've seen it, is Trello. And you were telling me you guys are using that. Tell me a little bit about it. Yeah, so the, the premise of Trello, it's another web service. They've got iOS apps and uh, Android apps and that sort of thing. It's actually really great on the iPad. I think when I describe the interface, you'll understand why. Trello basically is, if you picture back in college, when you were like outlining a paper and you had a desk and you had a a grid of index cards. That's basically what Trello is. You have all these different columns and then you have cards and cards can have a title. You can assign a person to a card. You can leave comments on the card, attach URLs, attach images, attach colored labels. And you can basically just pick them up and move them around. And so sort of the the big way that we use Trello is to track uh, our sales process. And so Mike and I both sell. He does more than I do but we both sell ads on the shows. And so we have a, a column for like, hey, these are companies that would be really cool to work with. Let's email them when we get a chance. And then say I email them or I call them. Then it gets moved to, hey, I've contacted this person. And I'll leave a little note. Hey, I emailed this person at this time of day. And 
then Mike can see, okay, I emailed um, Acme Company. And he can pick it up and contact them. Or if I sell them, they move over to the, you know, in process or sold. And if they say, no, we're not interested, they go in a different column. Uh, If they tell me to die in a fire, we archive the card and never speak of it again. (laughs) Never really had that happen. Um, and so for us, it's a really like, very specific though. It kind of, yeah. Well, dying a fire is a Casey Lissism. So, okay. Uh, he'll smile, but, um, it, it is a very visual way to track the process of, 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 of sales. And we use it for a couple of different things too. We use it for our, we have quarterly corporate goals, which sounds super day jobish, but you know, we have certain metrics we want to hit at certain times. So or we have like a big one was we know that WBC is going to be in June. And so, you know, have a live event, which is, it's a really big 10,000 foot view of, this is stuff we want to do. And so we can go in there and we can move them around and we can leave comments. Uh, we can archive them. We can say, Hey, we're going to push it off. Hey, we're coming forward a little bit. Um, so it's a really like really visual way to see the progress of different things. If we didn't use issues for GitHub, this is where I would do CMS upgrades because it makes a lot of sense for that sort of work. And, uh, we both have access to them. We can just go in and, and leave comments and, uh, we have the sales one actually tied to a private Slack channel. And so I don't necessarily look at Trello every day. Um, and it's and Trello, I, w- I will fault them with this. When you get a really busy board, it's hard to tell what's been changed the last time you saw it. They do a recent changes thing in the sidebar, but it's not really laid out well. And so in Slack, I can see Mike touched this card. This is what he did to it. He moved it or he added a comment or he he mentioned to me. So you can mention people say, hey, Stephen, I need you this piece of information from you about this, this contract or something. Yeah. And so I can log into Slack and just see, okay, these are all the last 10 things that got touched in Trello and then go deal with it if I need to. Now, are there, is it just you and Mike on that or are there more people? Just me and Mike. Do you, so I, you're probably the wrong person to ask, but I'm curious <laughs> at what point it becomes unmanageable. You know, if you have too many members in Trello, it seems to me like it could become a problem. Well, actually I used it uh, in my, pre- how I discovered it was in my previous job where I was a project manager for a web design development company. And I had a team of three project managers and me, so there are four of us, and we had our workflow. So, you know, uh, design, development, QA, launch, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and there were four of us in there. And actually, I think other team leads, maybe eight people in there could could do it. And it scales well because it does. If you open a card, you can see all the record of it. So I can see Katie added an image of a cat. David made a comment saying, don't put images of cats in there. Uh, Brian came in and said, oh, no, it's fine. Uh, and put a URL in there to the, you know, whatever the website saying it was okay to put cat images. So you can see the process within a card. And so at least I think, you know, we had maybe half a dozen or eight people uh, it seemed fine. And I don't know how it goes bigger than that. Um, but it's, it's really great. And it's spilled over into my personal life. My wife and I have one for like things we want to do to our house. And so it's like someday in process done. So it's, it's just a nice way to keep track of things that sort of move through a process. Yeah. And Trello is very accessible. If you're interested in trying it, they've got a free tier mm-hmm. and it's free forever. It's not, you know, a trial with unlimited boards, lists and basic features. And then if you want to, go to their business class plan. I was just looking, it's $10 a month per user. So these are not super expensive if, if it makes the difference in your, in your business. I would imagine you guys have one of the paid plans if you've got it tied into Slack and some of the other services. Actually, we've, I think we've got the free one. I don't know. I don't think we pay for it. Um, I'm almost positive that we don't, but uh, I, I don't know where it makes sense to, 
paying when it doesn't. But um, for the the use that we do, you know, it's it it's it's really nice. And it's great on the iPad because you can like tap it and drag actually with your finger like drag an index card into an, the next stack. So it's it's a nice metaphor on the iPad. Yeah, I I, I want to try it, Katie. Maybe we should do some of our show planning with it so we can talk about it at some point because it it, it is an interesting metaphor that I've never used before for planning. Yeah. And Stephen, one of the things I, I noticed you mentioned is that Trello then interacts with Slack. So it seems like you have a lot of data pouring into Slack. I know we've talked about Slack before kind of as a water cooler and how that's especially important for you know people who are working from home and may not normally have that social interaction. But it sounds like you're also using it as a productivity tool. I mean, I would say Trello is the biggest example of that. There's a, we've got another channel that's actually public, but only Mike and I are in it, uh, that pulls the master RSS feed so we can see anytime a show is published. And I think the the Google Calendar is in there too. So if, if you guys change the day you're recording, you know, MPU Live or something, then we see that happen in the Slack. That's really the only two things we use it for as far as like data coming in. I know a lot of the people use it for lots of things. I know Matt Alexander with Imprint uses it for all sorts of data, like pouring into Slack. And I think Federico uses it for everything. I've talked to him about that. Yeah, he's a Slack bot for like making coffee in the morning. Um, that's not real big for us, mainly because Slack is already so busy because we have like 32 people and everyone's talking all the time. And so for me, it, it sort of broke down to have like mission critical business stuff in Slack and like talking to Casey and John Syracuse about cars. Like it was like not very a coherent thing. And so um, Trello is really the only thing that we use in there. And it's really just because I don't like the way they do their recent history in the app. But um, Slack can integrate with almost anything these days. So it, it's really great if you want it. It just doesn't make a lot of sense for me. So something, Let's talk about Slack for a minute though, because I, I, it's been really an evolution for me. When we first joined the network, we got into the Slack channel. That was kind of what... It was really great because a lot of my friends were there and it was like Katie said, a water cooler and it didn't sink in for me as <laughs> to your chagrin, probably for two or three months that no, no, this is actually part of the business. This is where you go to have business to communications and to talk about things where I was sending you guys emails <laughs> and probably causing you to throw things. No, no. Um, all this stuff is going on in Slack and you guys really efficiently run this, you know, running podcasters is like herding cats. <laughs> I'm absolutely convinced of it, but you manage to do it largely through the use of Slack. And and what are some of the tricks you use to pull that off? Yeah, so we have a lot of private rooms that, and Mike and I are in a ton of them. I'm sure, actually, I know how many there are because as an admin, you can see like how many are made, but you can't see what they are. Um, so you guys could have a like Stephen Stinks private group that I don't know about, but everybody else does. You do. <laughs> but uh so we have a private one for each show. So we have one that's Mac Power Users, the two of you and the two of us. And if we need to, you know, ask a question about a sponsor or just have a conversation about something about your show, that's where we do it. Um, and so we have one of those for every podcast. So I have a whole long list of them down the side. Um, and then we also have some public channels built around different things. So we have like the general channel, which is just a river of people talking all day. Um, we have one that is uh, like for just for hosts. Even it's kind of a bad name because everyone in the Slack is a host now. But um, that we talk about business stuff. And so if for, so if we push a CMS change, I'll put the release notes in there. Uh, if Mike or I need to kind of make an announcement, we make it in there, and everybody can. It is 
open so anybody can talk in there, but we try to really keep that uh, business only. So like if someone gets off track, I just drop like a briefcase emoji in there and uh, try to pick up the conversation and move it back into general just so people can see the, the announcements. So if we talk about barbecue, we shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, I brought the-, the hammer down on that today. Um, <laughs> and so for us, that's really how we do it. And, you know, not everyone is on here. We have a couple of hosts who just never sign into it. And that's totally fine. And those people, you know, we can get in touch with if we need to. But Mike and I like to use it as our central hub, not only because we're just in it all day, but it really has become the um, sort of the place for Relay hosts to to be. And I, I know I know from the outside that that sounds exclusive. I don't mean for it to sound exclusive. I know that some people look at it as like this cool kids club. I, I don't view it that way. I view it as a bunch of us work together on something and we need a place to talk about that thing. Um, but it's really, really become the the central place. I check most mornings. I check Slack before I check Twitter and, I, and I'm not just in the relay Slack. I'm in four others right now uh, for various things that I'm involved with. And, um, for all those things, it really has become this like weird, weird melting pot of like private conversation, uh, funny stuff, work related stuff, tangentially related stuff. So there's a, there's a, uh, a group in the relay site called neutral, which is named after, John Casey and Marco's old car show where like 10 of us talk about cars like because you know not everyone's interested in that we don't want to clog up general but it's like a little place for us to to, like make jokes about Tesla or something so it's it's a it's a big range of stuff but it really has become important to to how we work well well the thing the the eye-opener for me has been how useful it has been kind of on the business side I mean from the the moment this free agent show which we just got we talked about the top of the show today from I, you know, the idea, uh, Jason and I had a phone call and next thing you know, we had a, a channel in Slack and that's been kind of the central meeting point. You guys have been really helpful. That's where we got the music and we're working on the artwork still. I mean, all this stuff that would have been many, many emails between many people is just managed there. And uh, I really am impressed with it. I know this, maybe I'm kind of late to the game in realizing this, but mm-hmm. These types of services, when used right, uh, really do save you a lot of time and effort. Yeah, it's it's nice to have a central repository where almost everybody is, as opposed to sending out a bunch of emails and getting a bunch of replies and reply alls and everything. So it's um, it gets the job done pretty well. So I guess I have to ask what. Uh... Moving on to the the podcast actual production bit, because besides doing some of the behind the scenes stuff, you do actually produce a couple of podcasts. You're on connected you've got a, a space show um mm-hmm. and i'm really enjoying the space show i initially just subscribed because i was like oh, i'm gonna support my buddy steven but <laughs> I, I love hearing about the space stuff i used to be quite a, i mean i still am quite a space geek but it's nice to be able to catch up with that stuff every once in a while so i suggest people go go check it out it's yeah. liftoff yeah liftoff's really really fun to to record but but let's talk about your your podcast production a little bit because people always like to to know how that works. You're on shows right now where you where you work with co-hosts. Dave and I have a pretty set production where we're working in Google Docs. Um, how how are you collaborating with your hosts and getting things done? Yeah, so on Connected, there's three of us, and then Liftoff and Ingenious, there's just two of us, and we use Quip uh, on Connected and Ingenious just because Mike. And Federico want to work from an iPad and Quip is a lot better on the iPad than Google Docs. Google Docs still doesn't support Slideover. And uh, I like Quip, but um, it's just different from Google Drive. And so uh, with all those shows, I'll put down Genius aside because it's really unique. But for Liftoff and Connected, they're kind of news-based shows or, you know, they're, they're topic-based shows. 
throughout the week, I will actually collect notes in the notes app. So like with the share extension on iOS, if uh, you know something, somebody tweets something or I see something in my RSS reader, uh, it just goes in a note, you know, named like four lift off or four connected. And I will, when we go to prepare the show, which is usually the day before, I'll go through those links and Mike and Federico and connected are doing the same thing. And so we kind of pull everything together the day before and say, what do we want to talk about? That happens in a private Slack room for the three of us. Like what topics we want to do, what follow-up is worth mentioning. Uh, is there any late-breaking news we need to take care of? And it just goes into an outline and a quip. Very much like the outlines you guys do. Um, and Liftoff's the same way. It, Jason and I collect news if we do an explainer episode. So we just did uh, an episode about uh, NASA Juno, which is this spacecraft that's circling Jupiter right now, which is super cool. We start reading links and putting links in and kind of outlining in Google Docs, um, you know, leading up, leading up to the episode. None of my, my, none of my, those two shows are not scripted, um, but they are outlined. And Genius is its own animal. It is heavily outlined. It is almost scripted at this point uh, where Mike and I talk about weird Wikipedia articles. Uh, and that is him and I doing heavy, heavy outlining and, uh, and getting that show prepped um, several days in advance. And Genius takes a long time to get ready. But um, that that happens in Quip. And again, it's collaborative like Google Docs is. So you can do real-time stuff. So I can see Mike moving stuff around and Federico saying, oh, this news just broke. I'm going to put it in as topic one and slide things down. It's a nice uh, team-based effort for for all the shows. Yeah, I know this sounds like navel-gazing, but I mean, if you're listening, even if you don't have a podcast, everybody eventually bumps into the need of sharing notes with another person. And podcasters deal with this so often that we, and, and we're nerds, we've all been like really kind of pushing the limits on the different options. I mean, one of the things we've done for years is we have a, a workflow that involves Evernote for the feedback show where we save things to it. And I'm frankly looking at other options now. And, and it's interesting to me because now there isn't an accepted one solution. I mean, if you want to record a podcast, everybody uses Skype. That's just the way you do it. Um, but if you want to make notes and collaborate, there is Google Docs, there's Quip, there's Apple Notes with a little massaging, there's Evernote. There's like a million different ways to do this these days. And that's always exciting for me because I like to try and figure out which one works best. But overall, you're not you're pretty happy with Quip. I am. It's the Mac app is a little weird sometimes. It's one of those things that like definitely has web components, uh, kind of in the app. But it, it does a good job, and it's um, uh, it's great on iOS. I prefer it on iOS to Google Docs because of the split view stuff, and it works nice on the iPhone. Um, so if, if you're frustrated by some of the Google Docs stuff, and especially if you're heavy on iOS, I would definitely recommend giving it a try. Um, it's free. I do think they have a paid service. We haven't bumped into needing to pay for it yet. Um, but uh at least the free tier we're on is perfectly serviceable and it syncs really well. And again, the collaboration is really nice. It's, it's, it's not as instant as Google docs, but I've never had a collision. I've never had a conflict. It's really solid. I think the interesting inflection point is um, like to look at file syncing as an example, a few years ago, the only place that I was aware of that did good file syncing was Dropbox. It was the only service you could rely upon. Um, that's not true anymore. I mean, not only is Apple making iCloud, you know, Smile is syncing your data files. Um, Omni Group syncs your data files. Small and large companies are figuring out how to reliably sync. And it's not something anymore that you have to be, you know, one of two, one of two or three companies in the world to reliably pull off. 
And in my mind, I keep thinking, well, in a couple of years, it's going to get that way with this type of simultaneous document editing like we've had with Google Docs for so long. Well, Microsoft is banging on the door with Word right now with their cloud-based service. Apple is, I'm not going to say banging on the door, but they're scratching <laughs> at the door. <laughs> you know, even the the new Apple Notes and the beta thing, and it's beta still, so I don't want to, you know, render judgment, but it's it's not Google Docs. And um the uh but but all these services are kind of kind of coming into the fold with this as well. It's just going to be really interesting as geeks to see how this evolves and, and where uh, what our options are in a couple of years. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Fracture. Get those digital photos onto your wall and get 10% off with your first order with the coupon code MACPOWERUSERS. The strange thing about photo technology today is that it's easier than ever to take pictures. Between our iPhones and digital cameras, we've all got some great shots, but the difference is we have hardly any of them printed out. It's crazy to think some of your best pictures sitting on a hard drive somewhere where you can't even enjoy them. Fracture solves that problem for you. Fracture is a photo decor company that's out to rescue your favorite images and get them on your walls. Fracture prints your photos directly onto glass and they add a laser cut rigid backing so they're ready to display right out of the box. They even include the wall anchor. Just upload your digital photo, pick your size. It's that simple. The fracture process makes the color and contrast of your photos really pop, and the sleek, frameless design lets your photos stand out while still matching any decorating style. My digital photo library continues to swell, but the good news is I'm able to see some of my favorite photos on my walls. You can do this too, and because they're so easy, I would recommend ordering several. Find a special place in your house where you enjoy spending time with your family and order three or four fractures and then cycle them throughout the year. During the holidays, have a holiday picture up during the summer, maybe have one of you at the beach. We do this at our house and we really enjoy the process of watching the picture change over the course of the year. Fractures also make great gifts. All fractures come with a 60 day happiness guarantee, so you're sure to love your order. Each fracture is handmade in Gainesville, Florida from U.S. sourced materials in their carbon neutral factory. You'll love your fracture prints. They're beautiful, affordable, and seeing them on your wall will bring a smile to your face every day. For more information and 10% off your first order, visit FractureMe.com podcast. Don't forget to mention Mac Power users in their one question survey. That makes us look great and helps support the show. Thanks again, Fracture, for sponsoring the Mac Power users. All right, we had you on because you're the Mac guy. And in a few minutes, we're going to really talk about why you're the Mac guy. <laughs> we promise we're getting to it. Yeah, I, I know that you also are wielding the large iPad Pro. And uh, I guess I have a question for you. I don't want to spend a lot of time. I heard rumors that you were coming to your senses. I am spending time with the 9.7. I need to make a decision here pretty soon, actually. But um, I'm spending time with both right now. I'm not keeping both. Do not hear what I am not saying. But uh, so you're going to have both. That's what you're saying. That's, that's not that's exactly the opposite of what I'm saying. No, he's not going to have both because he's a sane person. Katie, you should have two like like, like <laughs> you should have two like us, like Stephen and Michael. Okay, not, not like that. us. Not like us. I do not have two. I'm sorry. You, you stumbled in the middle of a fight here, Stephen. <laughs> but I have used the 12.9 since since launch. Yeah, it's 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 a spectacular device. It really is. It. it it painted iOS in a new light for me. And I, when I wrote my review of it, I said, uh, basically, this feels like the moment when the horse delivered the steel to the first car factory. 
Like that horse has no idea what he's in for. And <laughs> I still think that long term that computing is going to look more like the iPad than it does the Mac Pro. I think as long as there's room for both. Um, but it, it does feel like we're in some sort of shift where a lot of people can do a lot more work from a tablet. For me, at least, um, I think I felt really optimistic about that when I bought the iPad Pro. And there's a lot, I mean, a lot of the, everything we talked about the first half of the show, I could do on an iPad. Um, why I continue to do it on the Mac for the most part is that I'm just faster on the Mac, that I'm more comfortable with it, that I have a lot of uh, Mac power user-like things. I mean, you guys talked about Hazel and Text Expander and all this stuff over the years. I, I do all that. And without those things at my fingertips, I feel a little hobbled at times. And um, so there, there are days that I take my iPad and go to a coffee shop and work, but there are a lot of days that I have the iPad on my desk and I still continue to use my MacBook Pro and my big external display. Well, you know, in all fairness, I'm closer to you than I am to Federico because I I spend a lot of time at my Mac. And if I didn't have all my automation stuff running in the background, like I can rename a file on my iPad, but it's my Mac that's doing all the work on the file with Hazel and the stuff we talk about. Um, but but what are the things that you do find uh, useful productivity wise on the iPad? Uh, a lot of my iPad use is around the writing that I do. So 512 Pixels, I do some freelance writing as well, uh, where I can sit down and if I need to, re- you know, watch any videos or read any stuff. So if I'm watching a developer video or reading a white paper or watching a YouTube video of an old Apple keynote, I can do that. And now YouTube supports split screen. So I can have that on one side and I can have notes in the other, just taking notes as I go about, you know, whatever I'm whatever I'm researching. Uh, and then when it's time to write an article, I will split view notes and I use one writer, which is a great uh, iOS app that does markdown and a bunch of clever stuff with text. And I can, can take my notes that I took while researching and put my article next to it and start the process of actually writing. Um, I find writing on the iPad really enjoyable because because of the limitations. This is not original. People have been saying this for you know since the iPad first came out. But the ability to write in an environment where I have fewer notifications coming in, I have fewer things going on in the background, it's easier to turn off the notifications on iOS than it is in the Mac. Do not disturb on the Mac is great if your app uses the notification system that comes with Mac OS. If it doesn't, you're still getting your notifications. And so to have an environment where I can strip that other stuff away and focus on the writing, focus on the research, uh, has really been huge for me writing wise most of the long form stuff i've written in the last eight months has come through that big ipad and it's um it's not necessarily where i published from uh some stuff that i published to myself to use the you know a desktop browser but when it comes to putting words on the page the ipad is 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 my first weapon of choice and the big ipad really made that possible because split view is so good on the on that bigger display you can see so much more the software keyboard's a lot better on the big one, in my opinion. And it's just a, a nice tool for that sort of work for me. Now, how are you getting words on the page? Are you using the smart keyboard? Are you using Bluetooth keyboard? Are you using um, a tech specific text editor app? If it's been that productive for writing for you? Yeah, I, I use one writer uh, for the for the app. Um, as far as a, a keyboard, most of the time I'm using the smart keyboard, the one you know built into the floppy cover that Apple sells. Um, I do have or have a 
Magic Keyboard. Is that what they're calling the current one? Yeah. Uh, that I do I do leave paired to it. I leave it in my desk drawer. And if I'm doing a lot, if I'm going to write something really long or I know I'm going to spend all day on it, I will use that instead just because I find it more comfortable uh, hours in. But the Smart Keyboard is perfectly serviceable, including the little one. The 9.7 one is much better than I was afraid it would be. Um, so it just kind of depends on, on what I'm feeling. If my hands are bothering me a little bit, I'll forego the smart keyboard and use the aluminum magic keyboard. These adjectives are terrible, Apple. Please change them. But um, so I, I use both. And uh, I, I will use the on-screen keyboard if I'm just like goofing around the house and just I'm on Slack and I'm on Twitter. But if it's time to work, I still want a hardware keyboard at my fingertips. And And you said you've been testing the smaller one, too. Yeah, I have. I don't want to turn this into a, a long thing because we have a lot to cover. But the, uh, but what, what's your feeling on this? I mean, if you had to choose one at this point, where do you think your head's at? Uh, I, I really wish I knew. So I, for work, I prefer the big one. For casual use, listening to a podcast while doing the dishes, watching Netflix on the couch after my wife goes to bed, the 9.7 is much better in my opinion. It's much more manageable in those environments. And, um, and so for me, I think I will, I think I will probably end up maybe not this little experiment, but at some point I think I'll probably end up back on the 9.7 and using the aluminum magic keyboard a lot more. Um, but, uh, I really think that's just because for the casual use, the 12.9 is just, is sort of big. And like, you know, reading Instapaper in bed on the 12.9 iPad feels hilariously ridiculous right it's like this huge thing it's the size of a macbook pro yeah and if you drop it on your face you're gonna break your nose um and so the 9.7 i think wins out in that regard but then i go to use split screen with the software keyboard up and it's like terrible because everything's a little squished so i don't really know i mean part of me kind of wishes there was one in between the two i know that's a (laughs) very another one (laughs) uh a very cgp gray thing to say but um you know, maybe like a 10.5 inch Apple. If you're listening to this, just ship me one. I know you made it. Just mail it to me. Um, yeah, I think it's really, I mean, having used them both now for a while, I think the default should be the 9.7. If you're going to just get one, you want to go. But if you want to get like, if you really want to do big, big boy work on it with a bigger screen and the the better le- uh, uh, split screen, the keyboard on the bigger one's better, yeah, the, both on screen and also the the, fl- the flippy keyboard yeah i was at the beach the other day and just sitting at a cafe working away and looking at the ocean coming in with that big ipad thinking i was living the life california dreaming right there amen the 9.7 inches really really growing on me um i really don't miss the mini anymore interesting i love that mini so much but just the amount of work that i'm able to get done on the 9.7 inch taking advantage of split screen has has made up for it um, and I had to buy a bigger bag. I had to give in and buy a bigger purse. Right. And I splurged and got myself a nice bigger purse. So that made it worthwhile. There you go. You know? There you go. <laughs> I like, I like that approach to things a whole lot. Yeah. I, I honestly cannot make fun of my wife anymore about purses because if you look at the number of bags I've bought over the last couple of years, <laughs> I'm, I'm way worse than she is. So I want to welcome Hover back as a sponsor to Mac Power users. When you have a great idea for a project, a blog, a store, a startup, and you need to give it a great domain name, Hover is where you want to go. In fact, I have all my domain names registered at Hover, and I'll let you in on a little secret. I just registered a new domain name at Hover for a super secret project that I'll be telling you a little more about soon, and it was 
fast and ridiculously easy to find the perfect domain name at Hover. I go to Hover, I type in the information that I want, and it gives me thousands of domain name choices. They have all of the .coms, the .nets, and then even some funny ones like .design, .tech, .pizza, .ninja. Whatever you're looking for, chances are Hover probably has it. But they let you pick your domain name, and then that's it. They don't upsell you on all of these other ridiculous things. They give you the things that are important, like who is privacy for free. And they've got great other features like email. So for my super secret project, I wanted a great email address to go with it. But I didn't want to pay a ton for it. Hover has a great email service. So I was able to get my name and my super secret domain name and boom, I was done with it. And if you need help, Hover has absolutely amazing customer support. I admit I had to call them once, something that was my fault, not theirs, but they got it cleared up and they can connect Hover to all of the great services out there like Squarespace, like Google Docs and many more. So if you've got a super secret project of your own coming up, or if you've just got a great idea, go over to hover.com and use the promo code automation, A-U-T-O-M-A-T-I-O-N at checkout to save 10% off your first purchase. And thanks Hover for your support of the show. All right, Stephen, we finally made it. We got to talk about the Mac. (laughs) Let's talk about the Mac. Which one do you want to talk about? There are 14 in this room right now. (laughs) Talk about the tangerine one. It's my favorite. Let's talk a little bit about how this obsession started. How how did you come to collect all of these these computers? Yeah, so I will point people to my last MPU appearance, which I think we covered some of this. But um, so that'll be in the show notes. But it seems it seems to have gotten a little out of hand since then. It's gotten out of hand. Uh, so the the project I think we're really talking about today is the iMac G3 project. So a couple months ago, I had to put a blog post up on a Saturday. That was a terrible idea. I was like, hey, I think it would be really cool to have one of every color of iMac G3. There were 13 case colors over the years. And there, there are many more models than that, but there were 13 colors. I said, I think it'd be really cool to see them all in one room. Uh, if you have one and you just want to get rid of it, get in touch and now was this just a whim just you were sitting there on the couch one saturday and thought it might be cool i'll put out a tweet and a post and see what happens yeah i mean i mean i thought for a long time that'd be a cool project actually doing the project was done on a whim i had no like on my six month planning i was like september or you know whenever it was i guess may uh yeah in may i'm gonna do the imac that part was a whim but I thought for a long time it'd be really cool to see them all because a lot of these colors I'd never seen. I'd only actually, I'd only seen a couple, actually only owned one iMac when this started. Um, and so something really cool happened. And I did, I did end up buying a couple of them on eBay. I bought one from a guy on Craigslist like three hours away and met him halfway to get it. But like half of them, if not more of half of them, came from people who like read 512 pixels or listen to my shows. And so I got all these emails of like, hey, uh, I have this Indigo iMac that, you know, uh, my parents bought me when I went to college and it's just been sitting in my spare bedroom and my husband wants me to really get rid of it. Do you want it? And it was really amazing, like in all sincerity, really amazing to hear from these people who like wanted me to have a computer that was special to them. And, you know, from, hey, you know, this, this iMac was the one that I remember as a kid that was in like the the living room, right? And it's the one that I sort of like, was introduced to computing on and it's just been sitting collecting dust. And like, if you'll take care of it, I think it'd be a a good home for you. And, um, so over the course of about a month, 12, actually more than that, because there were some IMAX that kind of being duds from a visual perspective, because these were went to a video and a bunch of photographers. I want them to look good. So I think actually I have 16 of them, 
but these super heavy boxes started showing up in my house. And like, I know my UPS guy, like personally, before I realized he was my UPS guy, we do some, some other stuff together in town. And, uh, so I owe him a Christmas present because these things are really heavy. A big one. A big, big one. <laughs> yeah. Him and the FedEx guy, like Christmas presents for y'all. Uh, I mean the, the computers are like 48 pounds or something. Um, and so they started showing up and one day like three showed up and I thought that my wife might murder me, but, uh, started unboxing them and kept up on the website of like, these are the ones I have. And, um, actually had a spreadsheet in Google sheets of like, cause I had like three people offered a tangerine. It's like, well, I only really need one and I don't want to like have three of them show up and then I have to decide what to do. And these people think that I'm keeping these computers and I'm really just going to recycle it. Right. Like it, I wanted to, to be responsible with what people were entrusting me with. And so there was a little bit of juggling of like, Hey, I would love your grape iMac. I need to see if this other guy comes through first. And if I don't hear from him in a week, I'll tell him no thanks. And you know, if you're committed, then I'll go with you. So there was some of that. But uh, like five weeks later, they all they were all here and um, they're all sitting in my office. There's a picture floating around Twitter. Uh, they lined the top of the like the credenza in this office that I share with my brother, who's been very forgiving of me doing this in his office space. But um, they're all here now and I've, I've done a bunch of a uh, bunch of stuff with them and it's it's been a lot of fun. Now that has then led, so it, it, you, you started doing some videos slightly before this, but, but really this idea has led to now you moving more into the video realm. And so Stephen, you have since our, your last appearance on our show become a YouTuber. Yeah. If you're talking to a camera and no one else is in the room, I think you're a YouTuber, but, um, yeah. So like you said, I did a couple iPod videos, um, and, but, but really the iMac project really only made sense if I could do videos with it. Cause it's so much fun to see them right there. I did a bunch of product photography. There'll be a link in the show notes, all this stuff, but I really wanted to have a video of like what these things are like. And so I started to do some of that. So my, like I will, I label my YouTube experience as like completely experimental. Like the only thing I promise is the videos are up. will stay up. I don't ever, I, I can't, say for certain how long it will last or what it will be. They've, they've evolved heavily already. I think this newest one, that's like a week old now, uh, where I reviewed like seven laptops in six minutes. I think that's the style I'm going to stick with. I think it, it was the only one, it's the first one that I haven't hated by the time I published it. So I think that's a good sign. But um, I started to dip into this because it's it's one thing to write about old technology. And I really enjoy the photography, like doing, especially with the IMAX, like really high end, like product photography with them, which is super hard and I'm still learning. Um, but I think it's fun to talk about it and to engage people in video and to show them. And like, I think that adds a new dimension to it and there's not a lot of people doing it in this space. So, you know, hopefully I can make a little name for it and uh, carve out a little space on YouTube where this content can live. Now, one thing that I know David can attest to is that we as podcasters joke that audio is hard, but video is really hard. Video is super hard. And so if you look through the YouTube channel, the the first ones are like narration. So it's like me holding a bunch of iPods in a light box and I'm narrating actually through my podcast rig. And then I had one, I think the iPod shuffle one, my brother filmed, he's a filmmaker, uh, in his studio, which is where I'm sitting now. Uh, but like he helped me film it. Like he did all the filming. And I just, I just did the acting or right? I just talked about him and clipped him on and off my shirts and we, we shot it in 24 frames a second. So it looks super cinematic. Um, now we should mention that your your brother does this professionally. Your brother is a professional videographer, correct? Yeah, well, yeah, he runs a nonprofit and they make documentaries across Africa. So he's 
he does it for real. Um, and he's been a huge help for me in picking out my equipment and everything. And, but video is so much more complicated and, uh, audio is, can be complicated. Like I have bashed my head into the desk editing podcasts from time to time, but video is just way more complex. It's also way more expensive. Like I have this equipment list that I put together for you guys. And like just seeing the Amazon pages, I was like, oh yeah, the YouTube video, uh, have made, it's just a big black hole in my budget right now. Um, well, I mean, it's like, it's a hobby. I mean, be glad you don't play golf or something like that. Maybe you do. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't play golf. Uh, but, um, yeah, so I, I, that's how I, I look at it too. And it's, it's something too, that kind of like podcasting, like I, I, my podcasting rig I talk through is really expensive, but A, I do it for my job and B, it took years to get here. Right. And so you start off small and you kind of work your way up. And now that I own this microphone and this interface, I'm going to use this stuff till it breaks. And the way I view it of like, yes, like my camera body, the 70D was expensive. And yes, there are cameras that cost way less that do just as good a job or close to it. But I researched it. That's the one that did what I wanted it to do. It was also enough camera that I can grow into it. It can do, so, it can unlock so much more than I'm capable of. So I can grow into it. And, um, and that's really where that equipment came from. And just the, the learning about the editing and learning that, for me, um, the style of like keynote slides that are animated and talking like really doesn't work for me. I don't, I don't think those videos are nearly as engaging as the one I just published where I'm on camera talking to the camera in an empty room, waving laptops around. I think that's much more engaging. And so the whole thing is a learning process for me. And, um, and they've been successful. The first one got like sucked into like the YouTube algorithm. So it's like 90,000 views right now, which is completely bonkers. Um, the others are much smaller than that, but people are enjoying them. People are commenting and, and I'm having fun with it. And so it, it, it's really something that if I look at everything I do now and everything I did when I quit my job, the YouTube stuff is what's new. Like I'm just doing more relay. I'm doing more writing, but the, the, this channel would not have been possible when I had a job. And so it's something that the independence has given me the creative, like leeway to do. And, uh, and it's fun and it's, um, it's an excuse to buy a bunch of old computers and put them on film and then it's a business expense. Yeah. Right. It's also an excuse to buy a fancy camera or two. Definitely a fancy camera or two and a bunch of lenses. And there's a, a lens that's been like on my wish list for a while that I may end up getting later this fall. Um, cause it is complicated and it, you know, with podcasting, if you buy a $9 mic on Amazon, it's going to kind of sound like a $9 mic, but it also like, the equipment's much more forgiving in audio and audio. You can do much more to make it sound good. And, um, like the barrier to entry while definitely real in podcasting is definitely lower with audio with video. If you're shooting on a potato, it's just not going to look very good. Like you need to a degree, you need lighting. You need, if you're doing audio, you need a good microphone that you can sync with your video or syncs it for you in my case. And, the equipment matters more in video. I think at least from like my beginner stage, it seems like it matters more. Um, and, and that's fine. It is more expensive, but I think the content that comes out of it is a lot of fun. And so for me, it's, it's been worth the investment. Again, it is a giant black hole in my budget spreadsheet, but for now, um, I view it as a, as a way to grow what I'm doing with five twelve pixels and, and having a creative outlet that I don't get through podcasting and through these other things. And we'll put links to some of these in the show notes, but do you want to give us a quick rundown of some of the, the tools that you're using? Cause you know, people are going to ask. 
people are going to ask. So my my main camera is a Canon 70D. I use a couple of lenses. I've got a 50 and an 85 millimeter millimeter fixed lens. They're prime lenses. Um, I also have a super wide 10 to 18 millimeter. That's what I use in the last video. It's a very wide angle. It's not fisheye, but it's very wide. Um, and that's kind of the default like vlogging camera, which is a little embarrassing. Um, but it it does a really good job at that sort of sort of work. Um, I also shoot with a Sony RX100 Mark III, which is a it's not to call it a point and shoot is really unfair, but that's sort of the form factor it's in. It's a fixed lens; you can't change the lens out. Um, and that's what I use for a lot of photography. Um, it does. It also does really nice 1080 video, but you can't use an external microphone with it. So I use it. It's like my. It's like the camera that's always in my backpack. If I'm going to take a picture of something out in the world with something nicer than my iPhone. Um, but the the video stuff I've been posting is all shot through the 70D, and it does a great job. It's a workhorse. 70D is kind of old. Canon's a little behind, I think. But uh, it's a solid camera, and been really. It's really good for me coming from a, a cheaper DSLR to move up to this one, which is sort of mid range. To I already know how it works but its capabilities are, are beyond what I can squeeze out of it. So it's exciting to be challenged by the camera and be challenged by this equipment to, to make my skill better, to, to unlock what it can do. Yeah. So the thing that impresses me about your photo and your videos really is, is the lighting. I think that you light them really well. And that was one of the first things I wrote down when we we're going to talk about this segment is how are you lighting this stuff? Because I, I just, every time I try, I never get it to look as good as you do. Yeah, the trick is to have multiple lights. So there's a there'll be a link to like this B uh B and H um lighting kit. Uh, it's one my brother bought for his videos, and so it was just in the studio. So I started using it. It's a three light kit, so I have two front lights and the one backlight. Um, and that works really well for the product stuff. I can bring them in really close, and because they're they're all on tripods, so I can just move them around. So like the IMAX because they're basically big plastic bubbles. The glare is unbelievable, and so I spend a lot of time like experiment with where the light sits to like minimize the glare or like I want it I was like if I have to have glare I want it to follow the contour of the plastic and so figuring out where that all goes um and then shooting in a way that you can uh, edit later is huge so I shoot in raw so I can edit uh, almost anything about the photo um and really kind of learning how it works and it's all done on on like seamless white so uh, my idea was like this should be like floating in the Johnny Ive white room i'm still perfecting that part of that is that the way i do it is really cheap it's like white butcher paper on a roll attached to the ceiling and it comes down over a table but if you're shooting something small uh i use a a product called the foldio 2 which is like a a light box you can set up on a desk so any ipods or anything small i shoot in there it's well lit and it kind of just takes care of it for you and you basically just have to take the picture um but it's it's definitely something that is is important and something that is it's hard to do i've got a lot of stuff that doesn't look very good um, in, in this learning process, but having multiple lights, having where I can control the brightness, I can c- control the temperature, I can tr- control the placement really helps me get the look that I want. And then uh, what about post-processing for the photos and video? Uh, what apps are you using for that? Um, so for the photography, it's all in Photoshop, uh, you know, creative cloud, whatever the newest version is, they just updated it a couple weeks ago. Version numbers don't matter anymore <laughs> uh, with Adobe software. Um, so everything is shot in raw and I edit in Photoshop, um, for the video stuff, I edit in Final Cut Pro 10. I know a lot of people, including my brother likes the Adobe suite better. 
Uh, for me, Final Cut Pro 10 makes sense because I, I know iMovie really well and I know Logic. And Logic and Final Cut are very different from each other. There are things that I wish Logic would learn from Final Cut about the way it handles things. But it's it's really easy to get into if you know a little bit. And it's pretty simple. The exporting stuff is really simple. I'd say, hey, I want a 1080 in QuickTime and it just exports it for me. Um, and it, it's pretty performant on a, on a Retina MacBook Pro. I mean, it, it renders quickly and does a good job. And so that's all done in uh, Final Cut Pro 10. If I need any animation or any slides, like I did an iMac video that was all basically a moving slideshow. All that's done in Keynote because, I mean, David, I know that you use it heavily. It can do so much stuff with movement um, that Keynote just makes it really easy. And Keynote, you may not know, can export as a QuickTime document. So you can then take that movie that QuickTime, that uh, Keynote made and then chop it up in Final Cut and make it do all sorts of things. Yeah, we we actually are very shortly here going to be doing a show that uses for keynote other than presentation. So if you're listening and you've got a good one, let us know. It's the the outline is growing. The animation stuff is really cool. I mean, you can move stuff. I mean, I won't spoil your show. It can do lots of cool stuff that I never would have thought about it as an animation tool until talking to somebody who that's how they're an animator and that's how they started. They're like, yeah, just use Magic Move and keynote. I was like, mind blown, right? Because I just thought about it as a presentation tool. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Yeah. And, and so, and then you, these are also really scripted as well. So just talk us through briefly kind of the beginning to ending of one of these videos, how it is that you come about conceiving it, building it, and then, you know, shooting it. I mean, it always starts with the idea and the idea can come from, uh, this is a, a, a piece of content. Again, I hate that term, but uh, a piece of content that I want, like, I want to tell this story. So like, Again, I'll use this most recent video. I want to tell the story that the Titanium Power Book from 2001, it is the direct forefather of the Retina MacBook Pro. And that those two machines have way more in common than you would think. That was my very first, that was the first Mac that I bought new. All of my other Macs from that point were were hand-me-downs from like friends and family members. But that was the very first Mac that I bought brand new with my own hard-earned money. It took me forever to say, I was so proud of that computer. Yeah. They were, they were so expensive in the day. Yeah, it was like $3,500, but uh, it holds a very special place in my heart. Yeah, so so I wanted to tell that story about that machine. It's an important machine to me, too. It was my sort of like first, it was assigned to me from a job that I had, but it was the first computer that I kind of got to treat as mine. So I carried it, carried it to school and had all my own stuff on it. Um, so I wanted to tell that story. And so then it's a matter of like, well, how do I go about that? And so it's sort of part outlining of like, these are the, topics these are the points i need to hit and then thinking about visually how to tell it and so for me i wanted to show the notebooks in between the titanium and the retina and so it was like okay well i need um three aluminum power books for the different sizes well i already own two of them one of them i found locally a friend of mine had in storage so i went and borrowed it from her um Okay, I need a MacBook Pro pre-unibody. Well, I, I found one locally. Again, someone had it. They weren't using it. I was like, hey, can I borrow this for a weekend? And kind of sourcing all the stuff that I needed to actually show on screen, the visual story that I wanted to tell. And then it's a matter of of making it. And again, that has varied wildly over the last six months. It's been everything from I'm making it all in Keynote and narrating it in post to this last one where I just sat down and, and spoke. And this last one actually wasn't very scripted. I had a couple points and I had a couple jokes that I wanted to make, but uh, it wasn't, I wasn't reading off teleprompter. I didn't have it memorized. In fact, I, t- I did four takes of it and they're all four slightly different from each other. Uh, and then I go and, and put all that together. And so if I'm using photography, I need to edit those photos, at least the ones that I need to like drop into the video and then kind of start, you know, putting it together in, in Final Cut. It's a lot of work, man. 
It's a lot of it's a lot of work. Um, it shows. They're good videos. I mean, this this last one, I think I probably had ten hours or twelve hours in between the shooting, between the prep and the shooting, and then the the editing. Um, and it's also just really intensive from a technology perspective. I mean, that the video field is actually still on my desktop. It's like twenty two gigs of stuff. It's a lot bigger than audio. Um, the applications are more complicated. They're more heavy handed on your system. I wouldn't want to be running Final Cut on a MacBook Air. Like I want the Pro. I want its power for this. Um, but I think that the result can be really special. So I think it's all worth it. All right. As the Mac collector, mm-hmm. you know, what's your white whale? What's the one you're still waiting for? I think last time I was asked, I said the 20th anniversary Mac. Yeah, and you did. You did. I looked it up. And then I bought that for myself for my 30th birthday in January. <laughs> I spent way too much money on that, but it was super awesome. Uh, I just went to my wife and I was like, I think I want a nice birthday present. And she's like, what do you want? So I think I'm going to buy this computer on eBay. And she was like, she just shook her head. Um, she's the most forgiving person. So is she at the point now where she just shakes her head? Yeah. 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 She's cool. Uh, you know, we're in the process of moving. And so she keeps finding laptops I've stashed in closets. Uh, just like, wh- why is there a power book in the nursery? Like, I don't know. It's crazy. I don't know how it got there, but, um, the kid did it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the two-year-old definitely put that up there. Um, the IMAX were a little bit of a problem and I'm, I'm running into a problem where like now I have to, I'm concerned about like where to put this stuff. Uh, cause the IMAX are at the office. Well, isn't that what you're buying the house for is just, yeah, that's right. It's, yeah. All the extra square footage dedicated to a museum. Sorry, kids. You don't <laughs> get your own rooms. Daddy needs to store his excerpts. <laughs> a, good, a good friend of mine. Uh, he, um, the star Wars friend of mine, you know, star Wars fan his, uh, they, I think they bought the house from the in-laws. They'd passed away and they bought the in-laws house. He says, my father-in-law's wood shop is now storage for my action figures. Perfect. He's rolling over in his grave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And so that's a, that, I mean, it sounds so silly, but that really is like a concern now. Like I have to think about space and, and what's worth keeping as far as what to answer your actual question, what the white whale would be. I think right now it is the Macintosh TV. Um, I'll find a link for you guys, but it's, uh, I remember that it was like, it was sold for the college kid, right? You're supposed to take it to college and watch TV and yeah. And you could watch TV on it, uh, but not while you were computing. Um, it had a tuner in, right? It, a tuner was built right in. It did. And it's famous for being one of the few uh, cases that were in black plastic as opposed to the beige. This thing was like 1993 or something. Yeah. I had a Quadra 660 AV that had a TV tuner in it. Yeah. Yeah. You, and you could buy it even as a, eventually you could buy it as just, a, as just a, a part and put it in a bunch of different computers. But this was like really integrated into the, into the thing. It came with a black keyboard and mouse and it, it's, it's, they're really rare. It's, it's. Not as rare as the 20th anniversary, um, but uh, they're a little bit harder to get a hold of because they're older. Um, a lot of them have sort of disappeared. But uh, it's not a good computer. Like like the TAM, like 20th anniversary Mac is not a good computer, but it's it's important. Uh, it's unique. It's sort of strange. And that's what I look for in a in a computer I want to add to my collection. Like it's not necessarily always about an emotional connection I have. So like that titanium I bought years ago because I wanted one again because I had like you do, Katie good memories of it but sometimes it's about what the computer means or what it heralded or like or it's an oddball like sort of a strange example of apple trying something that didn't go very well and that's i think where the macintosh tv falls now are you using any of these to do actual work on or at this point Mm. system seven is super productive these days yeah and we talk about minimal writing environment if you don't have the internet it's super great um 
I, I actually did that for my daughter. I think I talked about it on the show once when she was younger and she wanted a computer and I didn't want her to have the internet in her bedroom. So we, uh, I got her an SE. <laughs> see with a floppy drive perfect and she wrote she wrote papers on it you know yeah mac se still works baby it still works yeah i would do i would do more retro computing if i had more free time um i do find like the experience of running something old and like using old programs especially old games um old simple games i find that really enjoyable and i think it's important like it's really easy to preserve hardware but it's much harder to preserve software for a couple of reasons like a it's just harder to get your hands on old installers and stuff. And, um, but B like what happens at some point when all the computers that can run system seven die, that will happen at some point, then system seven dies, right? Like if you can't run it on something, it goes away. The bits are still on a, on a floppy disk you have, but you have nothing to, to read those bits. And that's really troubling to me as, as like an archivist of this stuff of what happens when this goes away. And so I try when I, when I do get the chance to use an old computer that's really what I, I try to soak it in, try to understand it, try to put it in context, try to uh, put the decisions in time and space where they where they happened. Um, out of everything I have, I would say the one that I, I boot up the, on the most regular basis actually is the Titanium PowerBook, just because I love it so much. And it runs Tiger, uh, and it's got USB ports, so like I can get content on and off of it. It's got Ethernet, it's got Wi-Fi. I can get content on and off of it really easily. And if you're just running in like plain text, then it doesn't really matter. Um, but you run into issues like the browsers are no good anymore. You can't find a good browser for them. Um, if you get much older than that, if you get into like legacy IO, it's like, uh, how do I put it on my network? I, I have to run Ethernet over here. Or um, how do I get content off of it if I can't get Ethernet? Like, well, do I have a zip disk? Do I have something that I can convert this to? Can I open a ClarisWorks document anymore? So the older it gets, the harder it gets to actually do work. Um, and, and that it's really just about the experience and enjoying it for what it is. Well, we are enjoying the fact that you're going on this journey and documenting it for all of us. I, I love watching these videos every time a new one comes out. I just stop everything and watch it like two or three times <laughs> because it, it really is, you know, it's it's so good. And the, the 13 IMAX is if anybody's listening, you're going to watch one. Watch the video he made with the 13 IMAX. It's, it's just amazing. And uh, I'm so glad you did that project. <laughs> And I know how much work it was. So thanks for doing that. And it's it's a fun, for me, it's a fun break because so much of Relay, which is the vast majority of my time and income, Relay is so much about the here and now. Like we have news to cover. We have stories to to break. We have things to do that matter today. Podcasts have a very short lifespan. No, Mac Power Users is evergreen, man. Mac Power Users is evergreen. Y'all's back catalog is, gets crazy downloads. Um, but like a news episode of Connected is like, vapor right it comes and it goes and it, it has a shelf life but two years later no one really cares about like the evernote news we covered last week but with old computing like the audience that cares about this is much much smaller like, way smaller than someone who cares about tech news or or getting the most out of the mac like what you guys talk about but that audience is very dedicated and like very into things and um and it's just nice to have a break from like always worrying about what's new and what's going on now, what's going on in the future. Like right now we're all talking about Sierra and iOS 10, like it will come and it will go in the fall, but it's kind of nice to talk about something that happened 10 years ago or 15 years ago and to retrace the steps. Like how did we like to understand where we are now? We have to understand where we were and not just in technology. I believe that about life, but that's really fun to me. And it's just so refreshing to do it. Um, after spending all day, like covering 
the news on on a show or making sure that you know if Google I/O is happening, well, is Material going to cover it? And I'm sure they will. But we're we also going to do an upgrade. We're going to do it on clockwise, like trying to make those decisions and help people get that stuff out the door in a timely fashion. Like it's kind of like a, a walk down a country road. Like it's a little bit slower, a little bit nicer, and uh, not as much pressure. Well, and and the nice thing is writing about Classic Mac is all the people who are really interested in Classic Mac, they're not critical at all. And they would never tell you if they thought you got something wrong. They're just not like that. You would be surprised about that. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of said that whole thing in air quotes. (laughs) Yeah, I I had something. I don't remember what it was. Something old. And like I wrote like two years ago and someone emailed me just the other day. Like, you know, this like one spec is wrong. And like, and I care about that because... 512 pixels and increasingly is it becoming an increasingly important destination for people who are interested in it. Like um, I just did a good, uh, a much better job at like documenting everything I've ever covered. So you can find it much easier now. Like I want it to be a destination where someone thinks, Hey, I got this old Mac from my mom out of my attic. And like, what is it? What could it do? Like I want 512 to be a resource for those people. And it's going to get a long time to build all that out, of course. But it, it's with that comes a certain responsibility of being accurate and being and being right because not everyone cares about it. A lot of people don't care about it at all, right? Like, I mean, like that, that's fine. It's a very niche thing, but like people who are into niches are super into them, and you want to make sure you get it right for those people who really uh, find a lot of meaning in it. Yeah, and like you said, you're kind of an archivist and you want the information to be right. Absolutely. And you can learn all about this stuff if you head over to 512pixels.net, I believe. Yes, .net. Yeah, okay. And that's where Stephen writes about all sorts of things that come to mind, but as well uh, documents his journey as a Mac archivist. Are you ever going to go down this road with iOS stuff too? Are you going to get all the phones and then get all the iPads? You know, I've, I've been asked that before. Um, I have a couple iPads floating around. I have no old iPhones because I always want to upgrade and then use my old one to bankroll the new one. Yeah. Uh, at some point it's going to come back to buy me. I do a uh, friend of the show, uh, TJ sent me several old iPhones. So now I have a couple old iPhones, but I, I do need to expand into that. But um, it's much cheaper to pick up a 15 year old power book than it is a three year old iPhone. So that may be down the road a little bit. Well, you can, you can learn more in addition to 512 pixels. You can also learn about Steven, his Twitter handle, I believe is ISMH. Is that it? All right. All right. I've always wanted to ask, what does that mean? Uh, wait, wait. I, I know. I think I know. Can I, let me guess. You, well, you, I'm sure you know, cause you know my full name. Yeah. It's I Steven Hackett. Yeah. Steven Michael. Yeah. Yeah. So, so people assume, which I find hilarious that it means like SMH is short for like shake my head, like in disgust or, which I love being, like, I just love that association that people think I'm just like sad or like dejected all the time um we're just disagreeing with everything but it is my initials with an i in front because i signed up in 2007 and everything trendy had an i in front of it then um so yeah that's that's all it is uh having a four letter twitter handle big pain in the butt because people are always trying to break into it or buy it from you but uh ismh just four letters all right so you're on twitter you're on um uh, at 512 pixels and of course they can find you at the lovely relay fm podcast network Absolutely. You got three shows connected, Liftoff and Ungenius and um, all over the place. By the way, great job on Ungenius. I, I, I listened to my first episode the other day and now I am hooked. Yes, it's a lot of fun. They just take apart a Wikipedia entry and it's so fun. That is also where you can find this show over at our website at relay.fm slash MPU, where you can find links to just about everything we talked about in this episode. And if you want to contact us, you can do that by sending us an email to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com, or we're also on Twitter. The show is MacPowerUsers. I'm Katie Floyd. He's David Sparks. 
Uh, we want to thank our sponsors for this episode, Automatic, Omni, Fracture, and Hover. And we will see you all next time.